Welcome everybody to the hey, Faking Nose Podcast. podcast. Yes, we are indeed. in different time zones uh, going into your ear holes. And mm. this is week three slash four of the quarantine. Yeah. Ooh. And we're staying strong. So we got a, we got a fun episode for you. As you can yeah. tell now, we are actually doing intros for our own non-guest it's pods. The first intro. It's the first intro for like just the hangout sesh with your boys, TVK and, and Trevor. We got some feedback from, you know, our multi-million dollar marketing uh, board and advisors that we need to do this in order to let you know what's coming ahead in the podcast. Uh, even though we know you all read the descriptions, we know you, yeah, you know we're dedicated yeah, yeah. readers. You're all very well read of our descriptions. Uh-huh. Um, but so this is this has been a fun episode. Uh, we're going we out. About, um, you know, we're just, we're sitting in closets. King. We're talking about Tiger King. So if you haven't seen Tiger yeah. King, uh, uh, spoilers, spoilers will be ahead. Yeah, and you but only up it. to like episode three because I was kind. I told Trevor like he yeah. didn't, I didn't spoil anything for Trevor because I haven't. Seen, I've only seen up to episode three. So there we have a cap on the spoilers. <sighs> Uh, also, we talked about uh, cults and cult mm-hmm. leaders, uh, how to develop your own, uh, uh-huh. how to escape yeah. one if you are in one, and then also uh, how Just to market how to, how to market, like, yeah, kind of like learning how to, in music and, and, and art, how to look up to the greats, synthesize their work, steal it. And then actually get awards for it because you're a badass and you're you're a thief. Yeah, and how? Yeah, just basically how to find your own voice through learning through Mm -hmm. others, and that could be for either yourself as a as an artist or as a cult leader. So there's a lot. It it all ties together. It ties together. We're kind of the same thing. Um, We're trying to start a cult. That's what we're trying to say. (laughs) We're trying. Come join our cult, faking fam. Let's we, do it. We have to figure out the right legal language to invite people yeah. to our oh, cult sorry, sorry. without yeah, the feds busting us up. Yeah, my bad. Um, my bad. So just, you know, FBI join us. open up. <laughs> join us, the faking fam. We got another episode. So we want y'all to stay safe and uh, sit back and uh, enjoy. Enjoy. All right. How many days have we been in quarantine now? Uh, the last time I was, I considered myself unquarantined was March 13th. That seems right about. It's Friday the 13th. Oh man, never forget. Mm -hmm. I think the day before it was a Thursday for me. And then Mm -hmm. we did the drive a couple of days later, but we're getting, we're getting close to a month of this. Mm -hmm. Easily. We're on the fast track to one month of quarantine. One month again. of uh, faking notes podcast. We are we getting uh, close to our distancing. year anniversary. Oh yeah, isn't that kind of nuts to think about? No, time passes, bro. Why are you surprised? <laughs> <laughs> it's still passing. It's wild, man. Almost a year, and you know mm-hmm. what we would have done, of course, was throw a giant party, throwdown of the live For, pod uh, of the one year. <laughs> Of release, pod we invite we'd invite all we'd invite invite bad snacks, of course. Yeah, we yeah what well, we yeah we'd have Jeremy. to invite all of the previous guests who could come, and then all of our <sighs> friends who don't listen to the pod. <laughs> yeah, no, to get in to convert them, you know, we'll <laughs> to have Kool Aid. We'll Dude, speaking of conversion a... and uh, cults, so just like everyone else in America, uh, you've probably seen more than me, but I'm in. I just finished episode two of Tiger King. I told you that you needed to. You have... told me. Receipts. 
And so, so I've seen two episodes, it. and uh-huh. I think, or maybe actually I've seen three. I've almost finished the third one. So, so spoiler alerts for anybody listening. This is going to be a podcast exclusively about. This Tiger is the Tiger King, King podcast. Yeah, that's that's what King it is now. Apparently, now. that's already yeah. a very successful podcast and is now one of the top trending I ones. Bet. Is I bet. I is bet the Tiger is. King podcast? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Person. Yeah, whoever, yeah, whoever jumped on that boat. Who would have thought, and also who would have not thought that this would have been successful? Like, oh yeah, no, that this is this that was viral. That had viral written all over it. As soon as you see Joe Exotic, you're like, holy shit, I'm in for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I I gotta read up. I want to watch it all, and then I want to read up on the process on how they went about this. Um, just brief, brief. Uh, let's not say. We'll wind up giving away a bunch later on, but again, if you haven't seen it, if you don't think you're going to watch it, uh, that's okay. Uh, tune in. If you are going to watch it, maybe save this one later or just power through because no matter how many things we say, you will still be surprised when you watch this. Uh, all I have to say, a gay, polygamous, gun-toting tiger keeper is in a feud with a woman who is very likely to have fed her husband to tigers and runs a non-for-profit to rescue, quote, quote, rescue tigers. They're in a feud because each one of them wants <laughs> to have kind of a monopoly on this exotic animals market. And then you've got another dude who has a commune full of babes. That it's a harem. Like. It's a harem. It's a harem that he grooms. He grooms all of these women from uh from teenagers to be like his assistants and all they do all day is take care of the tigers and present shows and they he buys them houses they are all his wives changes their names yeah changes their names it's like every every 13 year old's dream of what it would be like (laughs) to be an adult it's like this guy his name's is it's not antler is it antler or atler dr Atler? A- a- Atler. I, think I keep Atler. thinking I don't Antler. think it's Antler, but yeah, it's something like, yeah, because, and of course yeah. he calls himself Doc. What is he a doctor of? The doc. Mysticism. Uh, love. Yeah. But doc yeah, it is, love. that's a great way to describe it. It's actually similar to a Trump description. It's like, it's like a 13-year-old's dream of like wealth, you know, limos, cheese, pizza, going on TV, Bro, it gets wild. I can't As, believe it. So you haven't met Jeff, right? You no, I don't Jeff? know who Jeff is. <gasps> I don't think I've met oh, Jeff. I've met. I've now bro. met and seen both of the husbands <laughs> of Carol. So, and then, oh no! So I haven't. Oh I've, no! No! I've no! Seen, no! Joe's. Joe's. Yeah, Joe's. Joe's husband. Joe's yeah. husband. But but basically, husbands. guys, you watch this, and it's kind of a. I mean, power to them, and why I want to. Read more Power about to the history you haven't of this. Seen the whole thing. Is how yeah, they put it together. The yeah. Because the editing yeah. and how they constructed the story out of this, like I'm sure it it took so much mental energy to really pace it out. Because how they reveal things to you is, it's actually I'd say fairly it's subtle. Brilliant storytelling. Yeah, it's brilliant like it's it's all structured. They have all of this footage, but how they, I wouldn't even say slow roll because it comes out quickly. But you find out twist and turns and backstory uh mm. from from the actual interviews of other people. So there's this feud, mm. there's these people who are 
friends. There's kind of these weird alliances. But mm -hmm. <laughs> you find out information in live interviews of the other people. Uh, they're reading other yeah. people's diaries. They're reading, mm -hmm. you know, police reports of each other. And <sighs> it's just kind of. They've got federal agents that they that, that worked the cases. You know what's so funny is like people, uh, you know, this reminds me a lot of Wild Wild Country. Wild Wild Country was the first documentary where it was so it was so storytelling driven mm -hmm. that they would they would be interviewing people and they would drop a name. It's like, oh yeah, this person did this thing, and then they would start. They would spend like ten minutes hyping up that person, giving them a backstory, showing footage, showing. All of these different, uh, uh, just like B-roll of this person doing whatever this interviewed person is saying. And then all of a sudden, they'd have this epic fade to black and then fade into literally the person they were just talking to. And then they are interviewing the person they've been edifying for like 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you're just glued. And I think they do the <laughs> same thing here as they talk about all this outlandish shit like, uh, did Carol kill her husband? And then it cuts to her like, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? And and it just, it takes your heart for a turn. There's just so many details, so many twists and turns to this. So it'll be like, it'll, it'll set her up. She's the murderer. She's the villain. And then she says something mm -hmm. about her backstory that breaks your heart. You love her. And then two minutes later, you hate her again. And then you hate Man. Joe, and then you have sympathy, and then you're disgusted, Joe, yeah. and then it goes to the other guy, and you're like, oh, that makes sense, and mm -hmm. he says something out, you're like, this dude's insane. So you're on yeah. your, your own emotional roller coaster, and you don't know who who, you who's, like. who are you rooting for, <laughs> if they're, yeah. they're awful people, or is there humanity beneath them, and it's all couched in just the insanity of illegal, exotic animal trading and I mean, my hunch is that you walk away, like like kind of just with a glimmer into these pe people's lives, but that everyone kind of loses in the end. That's my hunch, just because of the nature of their business and what they're doing. But uh -huh. even still, like the by episode three, you're just you're scratching that head, bro. I, I you know what it is, and I think why we gravitate to it so much. Uh, do you remember this this show that we kind of talked about a little bit over the podcast? It was, you know, we only mentioned it a couple times. Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. That you know, show. That was that like bells? Amazon or Hulu or? Uh, yeah, you know, I, Dis Disney Disney Plus. Plus. So oh, it's so yeah. funny. So it's so funny. This is like Game of Thrones with tigers, <laughs> but it's about <laughs> but, tigers and it's real. And people just trying. And it's Ed real. Is real. The what, what's what's so fascinating about it is the way they tell the stories is like these are a lot of people who mm -hmm. love tigers and they initially go into it because they love tigers. But then they find that it's very lucrative business to have people come and pet baby tigers. So then you have allegations of how, what do you do with the tigers that are too big? Do you sell them? And are you selling them to people who can take care of the tigers? And then certain things beings? are just straight up illegal, but they get ignored by the police. There's a drug dealer mm -hmm. who went away to jail. Oh, for there are people on payroll. Yeah, and people on and payroll. What, what I seen this and Drew, have you ever heard of the insane clown posse? 
No. Oh, you got to. I don't know. You got to. Uh, do I want to? Yeah, you, you have to. I don't fuck with clowns, bro. So it, it's not really clown-based. That It's the name of this group, okay. and they're called the uh-huh. Juggalos. And and it's get out. And you have to. So of course, uh, shout outs to Nathan Prilliman, who put me on to shout out. We were of course in the in the music tech center, the studio, the studio back in grad school, and we were (laughs) weeks away from graduating. We were just we were over it. We knew we were done. And I'm about to leave, and Nathan just looks at me. He just helped me mix some project, and he looks at me, and he's he's like, "Have you have you heard of the Insane Clown Posse?" I'm like, "No." Nathan, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, we're going to watch this documentary. So we just sat there <laughs> and and watched a documentary on the screens of the music studio. <laughs> and, and it's an hour long. And I was blown yeah, away. And it reminds studio. me a lot of this. It's just a weird kind of a cult in a sense. It's, it's a mindset. But particularly why it's very similar to this and the workers. And it re- reminds me a lot. Just a lot of this general vibe. Uh, you, you see all of these little either communes, cultures, groups, identities that are built around misfits and people who themselves embrace their own misfitness. And there's a lot of this is an older documentary, but they they flare up too because it's like a funny, super weird. They have weird traditions. Like they chug, I can't remember this orange soda, and there's a culture about this, and they have a music festival thing every year. But it is a collection of self-identified misfits, people who've had really troubled lives, grew up in actual poverty, or just different. And they they bond together over these traditions, uh, over support for leaders. And they just happen, there's just like the famous band of this group is called the Insane Clown Posse. And it's it's weird. Wow. It's kind of like Burning Man for for even weirder people. Like it's it's anti capitalist culture. They are all living, and I can't remember if I it's mean, in I'm, I'm for it's in that. some random state <laughs> like you know Kentucky, but maybe even more random like Not Arkansas. And they just I don't yeah, or just <laughs> you know northwestern Florida or something, but. Oh yeah, they they pull together and now they have this community with its own traditions, rituals, and because they 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 themselves when I call them weird, they themselves are identifying as weird. They see themselves as these misfits, and they found they just found each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that thanks to the online community, and that's why we're kind of getting Beautiful. some of these weird collections and communes of people that otherwise might have not had an opportunity to either excel or meet other people like them. Uh, so I think that's at least one benefit. There are some side effects, of course. Me and you... Do you want to start a branch? Me and you always... Start, <laughs> do you want, we're always do you talking start about, you know, the benefits of the internet. I think it's high time yeah. uh, we start the faking fam cult uh, because you got everyone's been listening here, but it's only... It's high time you start worshipping us. I wanted I want to go down this bit <laughs> but I, but I I don't know. I think we're in a weird quarantine stage. I'd be afraid to start a cult right now cuz I think it could really happen. What <laughs> what what I would be a subscriber to is like creating a close-knit community of people that love and care about each other. So a cult. And like you can yeah, oh wait, that is a cult. Wait a minute. Hell yeah, let's do it. Wait, 
So you said that one of their uh the the clowns, the clown posse, like one of the branches had a uh, ritual where they just chug orange soda. Yeah, Is and there's a real? specific brand of orange soda that they gravitate to. Here, you know what? It's you, it's time I we bet, pull this. Up. How much money? How much money you want to bet that 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 chapter was founded by Kel Mitchell? <laughs> I love orange soda. I do, I do, I do. Let me pull this up. I love orange soda. Insane clown posse. Hey, Kel, you love orange soda? I do. I love it. I do, I do, I do. Do y'all remember 90s kids? 90s kids, shout out. 90s kids. 90s kids. Man. Oh, my God. This is a a deep dive. Yeah, so they're a hip-hop duo. That's how they uh, identify. The clown posse? Yeah, the insane clown posse. The insane. You can't forget insane. Oh, my God. Why couldn't they be, like, well-adjusted clown posse? The like, well-adjusted. Why, why does it have to be insane? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's way... That rolls off the tongue way better. Let me even... I'm going to have to send you this, but there's there's a couple others like these. There's They always seem to happen in... <laughs> Please do. Like Florida and other random states where you can just, I guess, Ugh. get away with what you want. Say less. And I think that's kind of also the moral of the Tiger King story and all these groups. Uh, one of the hardest part about watching this is that you you sit there and while you're entertained, kind of, it's, it's a car crash. You can't look away. Like you're disgusted and you're mm-hmm. sad that you're watching it. Mm-hmm. But you have to look. And everyone's slowing down to look at this car wreck. But one of the things that floats in my mind mm-hmm. continuously is like, how is how are the how did the feds not come in and shut this down? Like, let alone the animal stuff, but but particularly the the culty harem stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the feds, if he's- the feds shut that type of things down, you know, when it had that Nixum or Niv- Nivum or whatever, the celebrity one. Where they were recruiting and doing weird oh, sex yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, with the girl who played Chloe from Smallville, yep. uh, Allison Mack. Yeah, like they bust, yeah. they, you know, they bust that stuff up. And this has a documentary about it. Like, where where are the feds? Where are the feds busting up well, the sex cult? The, people, people probably didn't even know until this doc, bro. Like, you do know that they're opening up, they're opening up the case into Car- the disappearance of Carol's husband. Oh, they are? Well, I know they're doing a follow-up. I'm yeah, trying to stay bro. away from too much until I just finish it and probably the next day or two. Wow, finish it. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is the reason why that stuff changes because of documentaries. I don't think people knew about this. I didn't know about it. I'm sh- I doubt the feds know about it. Like, yeah, the Fed. Okay, so the feds have the access to listen to and get all your data and all that stuff, right? Uh, Patriot Act, you know, these are things that happen around 9-11 and mm-hmm. things that Edward Snowden is warning us about. Like, the, the NSA has access to a lot more information that we should be comfortable with. However, there are th- over 330 million Americans, so that there's just an overload of information. There aren't that many people in government monitoring it, so there's stuff that's going to fly under the radar. This is where documentaries come in, where you start getting... This, they're telling stories that people should know about, but there's too much information. I wonder if this is be, be, too much information. This is probably one of the best times. It's my, this is my guess. I don't know. I'm not a documentarian. Mm-hmm. I know this, but this we we, we could. But but yeah. as someone who's unqualified to say this, I'm going to say it. Don't Do it. don't let knowledge and 
uh, expertise stop you from just saying things on a mm. podcast. But this is probably mm. one of the best times for yeah, documentaries <laughs> in that we're getting direct access to these on streaming services. Documentaries are becoming pop culture in a sense. Like, think about it. Tiger King is number one. It's number one right now. And then things about Tiger King are number one. Like, how often does it happen mm -hmm. for a Memes. documentary? You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. Be, and if you think about it, because a documentary, you also need often just a huge time investment. It's like reading a book. It's a lot harder for us, particularly if you think of how much is trending in the digital age towards less and less time invested. People are putting in hours into documentaries. And they're watching it. Even even when even they the we've already talked about the When They See Us, which is kind of a pseudo documentary reenactment. Um the O.J. Simpson trials, the Ted Bundys, all these other things. These are documentaries that, you know, would previously be reserved for the History Channel or Discovery Channel, and you had to tune in once a week maybe to catch on. It's not a show, even if it's engaging. There's a great chance the general audience wasn't paying attention. It rarely felt like pop culture, in a sense. And now we're getting that because of the the absurdity but people are talking about it. it is the number one thing watched on Netflix right now and it's a, mm -hmm. and it's a legitimate mm -hmm. documentary shot in the normal documentary style by documentarians so it is it's kind of fascinating to me to see that catch on as i my interest grows in these like long form uh storytelling things finish it finish <laughs> I'm ready. it oh so we have to give so some follow-up for um so because we're both on computers we could actually do research so uh so the the juggalos so it's a fan group of the insane clown posse so they started out as fans or any other <laughs> from this same rick record company and they they hold a festival called the gathering of the juggalos uh, and so characteristics of a juggle. Is it just all dudes? No, no, because there's also female, feminine juggalettes. Uh, and so a characteristic of all of these people is drinking and spraying the inexpensive soft drink Fago, <laughs> listening to horrorcore and other types of underground rap music, wearing face paint, face paint, generally those either like an evil clown or perhaps similar to corpse paint, wearing hatchet gear. Basically, it sounds like Borderlands. Uh, having the Hatchet Man logo, um, doing your hair in spider legs style, uh, displaying the gesture of a wicked clown, making and responding to whoop whoop calls, and expressing a genuinely tongue-in-cheek obsession with murder committed with a blade weapon. I don't need any friends like that. <laughs> I don't need that kind of energy in my life, man. I got to so send much. you this doc now that you finished it. It just they remind me of these same I'm I'm always fascinated by these uh these these cult like things and and one of the things they always nerds, yeah, and one of the bro. things they always talk about too. For, <laughs> for some people are they can be fairly aware a lot of it like with yeah. any cult, it, it comes after if they're able to escape. Some just embrace it. They know they're becoming a part of it. But why you get these collections of either the the self-proclaimed misfits or people who've had really trouble past or in these areas of poverty uh, in particular to things like this is the community, some sense of community. 
And one thing that specifically that they mentioned in Tiger King, uh, I forgot her name, but one of the uh, harem mistresses who left, she, she yeah, she, and, oh, I, yeah, I like how I she phrased her. it because yeah. she, she mentioned specifically, and this is, goes for all cults is like no you absolutely could leave like one of the the signs of these these mm -hmm. cult like areas is is that no they've never really forced you to stay but mm -hmm. that's not necessarily true it's the social ties it's the money it's the pressure uh of leaving that kind of keeps you from the distance yeah, your distances your and for this one <laughs> at a tiger zoo illegal tiger zoo this dude was making them change their names and she said, mm -hmm. you know, what what a fundamental way to change a person, to have their name chained, mm -hmm. changed. And that's where I didn't mm -hmm. I, I didn't see, of course, this direction. I figured the murders, the illegalness, uh, comparing the rescue of the tigers to just being just another cult, just like the other crazies. Uh, but I, I <laughs> when they all had multiple husbands and wives, I was like, man, I got to get me a tiger. <laughs> Look, like, like you think do a cute dog is gonna bring the ladies in? You think Shiloh's gonna cut it? <laughs> nah, I gotta get baby tiger. Uh, you know what's so interesting? I kind of want to talk about maybe the psychologies of the people mm -hmm. involved, principally Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin. Okay, let's do it. Can we start with Joe? Can you imagine being a gay man growing up and living your entire life in Oklahoma? No. And to be... Can you imagine what it's like to try to find companionship, you know? And to be so successful, too, and actually seems, like, embraced by the community. And he's older, folks. This isn't a young guy. Mm -hmm. So he's he went through it all. No, he's in his, like, 50s at least. Yeah. Like, all of his husbands are at least 20 years younger than him. <sighs> we just had to let that let that moment wow. settle in. You just you just have to you have to wait, bro. You haven't even you haven't even seen how it how it kind of turns out. Um, so I'm not going to say anything. But I wonder because you know because he is so isolated socially, probably because of his you know his demeanor. Like he's he's not somebody who's really uh, he doesn't lead with love with people necessarily. He's very manipulative, at least the way he through his actions, the way he treats people. He uses people as objects because at least this is just a armchair non-psychiatrist, mm -hmm. you know, giving it an evaluation. But I really think that he feels like he needs to have the tigers around as a mechanism to keep other people around because he doesn't feel like he's good enough himself. And when you feel that way, you don't, you often don't exhibit behaviors that help mitigate that. You don't build yourself. You don't get a new skill. You don't grow a business. You don't grow value. You're just trying to find ways to manipulate people to stay in your circle. And so you give them what they need. You distance them from people that love them. Uh, it's it's really rough. Or you find people who already don't have anybody and then you give them a place to stay. So it's, it's, but then at the end of the day, I also see Joe as somebody who just wants love. Mm -hmm. He just wants love and companionship. He found it with tigers and from tigers, other humans came and gave him what he needed. And then he decided that I'm now gonna live the, 
life of worthiness that I always thought I was capable of. I'm the Tiger King. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm the master of this universe. I'm the one that you're here to see. These tigers, they're fine, but you're here to see it's me. It's the cult of personality. It, it really yes. Which was that, one of the episode yeah, titles, yeah. Cult of Personality. And it is fascinating because mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. didn't see the I should have seen it coming. The the whole cult element of it coming from the outset. Uh, because I don't think anyone, when you start the show, you can predict w- all the turns it's going to take. Even no matter how many people tweet mm-hmm. about it, tweet memes, like nothing will prepare you for what you're about to witness. But I no, love how yeah, you pointed out ready. the psychology. Uh, and just it's just neat to see these types of figures. But also how it translates and why we should be aware of any cults, particularly cults of personalities. Uh, there's a reason they exist also is because they work. Like, and we're not all immune to it. It's kind of like the phrase, or whenever you watch an ad and you laugh, like, haha, that's an ad. Like, that doesn't work on me. And then, you know, you, you tweet about it on your iPhone, uh, beside your, your Mac Pro, beside your iPad, beside you. It's like, we're not, none of us are immune mm-hmm. <laughs> to the effects of no. advertisings. None of, not everyone, we're not all going to be immune to cult leaders, to, to dictators. Not yeah, everything. Like, you're going to fall. Sometimes it hits different. Sometimes it hits that dude. If somebody came to me with the like a hot chick with big boobs and a, and a nice booty and a great week three of quarantine came up to me. <laughs> no, I yeah okay yeah. This Keep going. Is, anyway, d- go with me. She's like, hey, you want to join this this gamer union? Like we're all just hot female gamers. I'm gonna like totally. Drew's gonna be. A, it'll be an hour long episode. Be like, no, Trevor, you're like, gonna. That's, you're gonna love it. I, I would think not this see is that the new coming. direction the pod needs to take. I need you to drink my blood, and then play Smash for four hours as initiation. <laughs> Bro, I was playing Smash with Jeremy until four in the morning. Man, you're living my night. the college fantasy man. Isn't that's life? He, there aren't words to describe how thoroughly I was beaten up <laughs> by this man i i it, i was so i was beaten so badly and so thoroughly by him that i was still in a bad mood when i woke up the next morning oh that's i devastating. was still salty about it dude i was dev i hate the one thing about me that a lot of people don't know because i, I tend to be a jovial kind inclusive person and that is me but another aspect of me is a very intense competitor and when i get consistently defeated if i fail i get very frustrated i hate failing i hate losing more than anything but it's part of life so i'm like learning to use it as fuel but still to lose that much bro i think i had 40 knockouts and he had a (laughs) hundred like he got he beat me 15 consecutive games in a row at one time. I have never been waxed like that. This I mean we we have a lot but in I common still love maybe it. that's also why we get so along cuz the same it. thing. Yeah. I both you know, I live in the two worlds of both not caring and like understanding that I will not mm-hmm. be good at a lot of things and that I don't have to because I haven't mm-hmm. put in time into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and understanding, we, we know how to get good at things. So you'd think that would allow mm-hmm. us to give ourselves a break when we know trying a new mm-hmm. school we're going to be bad at. Yeah. Just like we'd expect some, if someone picked mm-hmm. up a viola and had never held one and like had never played any music uh, ever, they're going to sound awful for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And even after a long time. <sighs> 
<laughs> but yeah, but we don't expect them to do old. well. But I think it's it gets in that pseudo musician kind of you know. It, I wonder if it's a chicken or the egg thing. If if one of the benefits of music, and I think one of the draws to music for me was from a competitive angle, the wrong angle. I knew it was hard, and I was finding some success mm-hmm. early, and so that was a way to win. And so you know, I want to win at music. And because I could pick up instruments and do pretty well early on without much effort, you know, that only takes you so far. But that was one of the, I think the selling points was it was, it's not like I was excelling at sports or in other areas. I had to find where I was, where I was finding success easily. And then I took advantage of that. So I'm still super, besides understanding and not caring genuinely, particularly in things like sports, I can play them and have a lot of fun and just goof off, play basketball and like generally not be, never get angry at the results. But when you start putting me in things like video games and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, board games, chess games, or whatever, intellectual games, mm-hmm. I start do that angry, mm-hmm. that hyper competitive, it, it can jump in. Well, I'll be, I can still have fun, but damn, I want to mm-hmm. win. And my, it's funny. You, and you've seen, you know, me and Amy, we'll, we'll like joke around and we, we won't care too much about mm-hmm. things, but we're, then but slap when each we other play games, it is full on competition. We keep scores. Oh. I we now oh, take oh, photos yeah. of our oh, our yeah. board game results, so we have we have a, a multi year like scoreboard, and we get angry at each other. It's the only time we talk shit to each other. We're playing gin, just the card game, oh, I love it. and we're just sh- absolutely oh, yeah. shitting on each other. And it's oh, a fun way to like get out of that frustration. It, but it's true. Like I genuinely want to win. I want to dominate. And when I'm up, yeah, it's dude. scoreboard time. You know, I'm calling it out. It's trash talk, and and I love it. And I I, I wonder if that's part of what drives a lot of people to music, why it's so competitive, mm-hmm. almost not different mm-hmm. than sports. And it's even harder in that it at least with sports, there are results. It's not subjective. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's probably the hardest with part music, about music, bro. Yeah. After yeah. a certain point, you can't actually. You can never really win music. You can win sports. Yeah, you can't win. You can't win. That's that's the part, and that's why I'm not competitive in music because it's not useful. You can't win. That's not a useful me- me- method of growth. You can't like yeah. There's no victory. But what it is, it's a lifetime lifetime conduit to have self improvement mm-hmm. and always be learning new stuff. So and it's a language. So I mean, it's it's so much more than just a competition. It's not just a football game. Or it's not just a basketball game. And even people who are professional basketball and football players and, and athletes, they will even say it's not just Oh, you a can game. tell they fall. All of those it's professionals, like particularly art. like in the NBA, yeah. you, you know they love mm-hmm. the process of it. And it reminds me, of course, of the book, you know, Mastery and the 10,000 Hours and all that. We're talking about, say, a Tiger Woods. Um, he fell in love with the process of it. He It wasn't just about pleasing the dead. It wasn't just about the success or about, you know, paying all those, uh, hookers to dance around him while he was dressed up in a suit. Um, shout out, mm. shout outs, shout outs, Tiger out. Woods. Speaking of, yeah, Tiger King, he was the original Tiger King and, uh, he bring it back, king. bring it back. But a yeah. uh, few yeah. dominated as much as him. And of course he's hyper competitive. He puts on the red jacket, uh, red, red shirt. Everyone freaked out. The red like, shirt. Like few people have oh, dominated yeah, no, a sport fuck. like he has. Uh, and actually induced fear <laughs> into his opponent. But he 
one of the things you hear about his childhood, um, of course, his father was an educator who was dis- in- instilled discipline equals freedom. Last episode, mm-hmm. shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the freedom. particular thing that stuck with him was less so about the competitions mm-hmm. is that while he started it without much of a choice, his father wanted him to, to learn this. They would work on it together. But at some point, it kicks in that it's no longer just a fascination, a hobby, or just trying to impress someone else. It ha- that motivation became internal. He wanted to improve, and it wasn't about just pleasing the parents or because he was finding success. It was the process. The process is what, th- that internal drive is what would get take someone from just playing golf all the time to getting in the sand trap and like, I'm going to hit a thousand balls out of the sand trap today. When you know you might wind up in the sand trap maybe twice. God, you twice got a thousand a balls, bro. Dude, man. What a strong caddy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you dropping those. Like that uh, guy, that guy was running. Yeah, those kettlebells. He's just like, I'm gonna put the kettlebells in the sand trap. Yep. Yep. And can you imagine the process? Like, even if you were to do a thousand shots from the bunker, like how what how many people are we talking about? Like, you need to do a dude to go pick up those balls <laughs> after you hit him, bring them back because you're not carrying a thousand balls. So maybe let's say you're carrying two hundred balls. You have a dude picking up two hundred balls five times. Dude, it was and Tiger. Job, he he had he he had probably a bunch of bikini bikini clad people running around dropping thousand balls. Oh. He probably he probably took him into the woods too. He was like, "Hey, hold on, this, you know, my last name's Woods. You know, I yeah. gotta, I, I gotta come correct. So let's go into the deep rough. Just you and me. We'll figure it out. You know, uh, it's just like I got a lot of green jackets. I'll show you some woods, girl. Dude, I'm weird. Okay, I'm sorry. This quarantine is getting to me. Speaking of weird, you know what? I bet Jeremy first. would be a great cult leader. Because. Yeah, because I mean, you would be a good one, but that'd be like that's kind of obvious. Because, but I think Jeremy would be Mm -hmm. like the subtle one because he's not like hitting you over the head with the charisma. He could just occasionally Mm -hmm. say something deep, and he could, and Mm -hmm. and he just kind of, you know, he'll pause. Maybe doesn't even have to say something, and then everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, pulls you in because you want that response. And then Mm -hmm. next thing you know, you know, you're trying to get to level six. Of, of the Jeremy Jeremy cult, and you'll do anything for dear leader Jeremy. Level six? Only level six, bro? Bro, what level are you in, in cult, Jeremy? Six. Bro, I'm at like the, uh, we call it, it's it's like the, it's like the third rung from the top. We <laughs> call it the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the smashing fast fallers of, High rule. That's what that's what we call it, bro. So uh he's straight up like he teaches everybody in the cult how to make sure they wave dash correctly. <laughs> uh he makes sure like when you get try when when people try to stage spike you, he personally gives you lessons on how to tech those. Uh <laughs> These are these are really terrible Super Smash Brother jokes. And and all you have uh, to do is you know play, worship him. Make any sense. Uh, you have to provide all of your background information, uh, everything that can be held as leverage to make sure that you really want to know how to get to the top of Smash Mountain. Yeah, that's true. You have to give him your social security. You have to actually, you actually you have to take a 
bunch of dick pics <laughs> in a certain order and with different accessories. And then they're not going to be sent out. But as long as you abide by his rules, they stay safe. It's very home. specific. If you step out. It's the clock yeah. face. So you have to have one at every angle for each number of the clock. Yeah. And then he, he puts them together and it's called the cock clock. The cock clock. So he's got to let you know what time it is. You know, <laughs> and then every hour on the hour, he sends you where you are on your own cock clock, just to remind you. Um, just to remind you. All right, we got to we got to stop is. this bit. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. The last one. That's just step one. Step two is like he has an assortment of hats that you have to. <laughs> now I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and the final circle is called late bloomer. And okay, we bring it back. Shout out to check out Jeremy's album. Uh, He is actually not a cult leader uh, that we're aware of, or we're actually in it. Um, That's how cult works. You you don't really know. (laughs) You know, you're in it. Um, Just being his friend, your part, your part. What if? What if you you went up, you visited, you visited Jeremy. You're like, hey, you know what? Let's just hang out. Person, and he just had a had a couple of tigers in the backyard. Like, what would you do? Get get. Get the fuck out, dude. <laughs> he just, he was sitting there like, man, like I've been me. working on this album. He literally just texted me. He's like, do you play Pikachu? I'm like, <laughs> we're talking about you on the pod, bro. <laughs> oh, it, He's phoning it no, in. Just no, con- no, no context. Be like, oh, cool. Thanks for like the shout outs. So what'd you say about my new, my new release? I'd be like, uh. You're, you're gonna, our new cult leader. Yeah. So you're a cult leader. We know, we've told everyone about your tigers. But it, it, the, the one oh thing my God. that that also fascinates me, I wonder. I want to read some of these books because I've listened to some of this, like the more serious uh, conversations and things we can learn from people mm-hmm. who've escaped cults. From either there's one, of course, uh, a year or two ago, Leah Rimini and a few others were talking mm-hmm. about Scientology, a cult, going around mm-hmm. talking about that. Mm-hmm. And recently, someone's been How going. How dare you, Trevor? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry. Don't you know they own real estate? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go outside again, bro? <laughs> I just love South Park when just they kidding. they make fun of it. They're like in the quarter. It's like no, this is actually uh-huh. what they believe. You know, <laughs> this is not fake. <laughs> but it's been coming it's around wild. to someone recently was talking about leaving the Westboro Baptist Church, and mm, that's probably harder to I've find people this. of that just because they're actually small. You know, you're really kind of in essence born into it. It's not like a huge recruitment process and it's really family driven. Um, so naturally it's going to be harder to feel about that. But she's been going around. We've talked about it some on the pod. Uh, things to learn by, particularly how to talk people, to talk to people uh, constructively to try to plant seeds to get them out of the cult. But that in order to really escape a cult, it does have to, just like Tiger Woods, uh, be an internal choice. To where you need to, when you're trying to get people out of there, you don't drive up, put them in the back of a van and haul them out. Uh, what you need to do is you need to put chinks in the armor. It, and you don't know what that chink's going to be. So it's not going out and attacking someone uh, for their belief or whatever they're in. But you want to, if you can find that seed of doubt and just make sure to water that particular seed. And for all these religious cults, uh, Often it's inconsistencies that mm-hmm. that are that w- mm-hmm. wiggle people mm-hmm. out. When when I read about people who have left certain religions, very often it's a specific inconsistency. Uh, 
either with someone they've met mm-hmm. or it's it's an inconsistency mm-hmm. for how they practice versus what they preach. You know, all these people are going mm-hmm. to hell for doing these things. And then someone and mm-hmm. a couple of people do something bad in that cult. And they're like, hey, wait, we're telling mm-hmm. everyone to do this. But yet we're doing something very similar. And they're like, no, no, it's for it's the the ends justify the means. It's different. And then people, they stew with the mm-hmm. inconsistencies. Mm-hmm in their mind. It's because it's their reality. Their reality yeah. is fucked up. Like, the only the only information that they have, the world that is built, it's kind of like North Korea or China where the where you access information, the government is controlling what you want to see so you can't get objective truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so the when big- you provide objective truth for the first time. The biggest one, and uh, it we, we've talked about it specifically before, but another huge mm-hmm. sign of the cult uh, and you actually get this, yes, in Trump. There are cult-like things about mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. the number one thing mm-hmm. of a cult, these dictatorships, all that, is is when they don't want you to trust what you see with your own eyes. Trust me. Mm-hmm. So let alone the media. It's like, do not listen to them. You listen to me. I'm the one source of information. I am, I'm the one speaking the, the truth. And so you see that from Trump, you see that from North Korea, you see that from these celebrity L.A. cults, these upper class weird mm. cults. You see it from uh, backcountry uh, religious cults. It's all over. That's a defining feature from the all biggest the world. Dic- mm-hmm. from the biggest dictatorships down to the smallest goofy let's paint our face cults, uh, and like live on a commune and you know have multiple multiple wives or whatever. It's it's a big sign. Mm. It's like you're and you're offloading your trust to someone else and you're listening to them over everything else and you should always trust your eyes you should be aware that you should be aware of like where you can deceive yourself and where you can trick yourself mm-hmm. and that understanding like things ain't, aren't always what they seem but you should still try to come to that decision yourself never letting someone else mm-hmm. come through anytime these cult leaders the tigers the Tiger Kings, all they, they come in there. They love the personality of the person. They listen to them. And after all of the, the, you know, they talk about how they loved and they took in me. They took me in and, you know, I really b- believe in this person. And then they always say, but, and they list off all this abusive, <laughs> evil stuff of things they want, of gaslighting, of tearing people down, of taking away their autonomy. And it's always there. And regardless of if it's a dumb tiger person in South Carolina or if it's North Korea, that's the same. And so they're trying to find people well, who are... Yeah. Yeah. Go on. No, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, the, the also thing, it's like almost everyone is susceptible to this. Back to the advertising thing. Everyone will... People will watch one cult, laugh it off, and be like, these people are so mm. dumb. While they're in a cult. <laughs> you know, if if you showed people in, uh, yeah. you know, in some of these dictatorships, videos of this, they were just laughing. I'm like, oh, idiots! And I bet all of these celebrities who were pulled into that Nisum or whatever uh, sex cult with, you know, some hippy dippy guru would mm-hmm. could sit around and like laugh at other mm-hmm. Scientologists, laugh at these religious groups who take advantage of the people. Be like, how could they ever fall for that? While they're in the middle of one. You're blind to it. Well, I think what's what, what's important is like finding your center and always questioning people's intent when they give you information. 
I think that's like, mm-hmm. why are they telling me this? Like, do I believe it? And trying to make sure that you think for yourself. When you don't think for yourself, you're susceptible. Uh, and this a great example. Um, Daryl Davis is a blues uh, musician who was mm-hmm. recently on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he has an incredible story. If you don't know about it, it was he was on Joe Rogan uh, number fourteen nineteen. And it was January 30th. So if you don't know, if you haven't heard, this is crazy. This guy is a brother who's a musician, traveling musician, kind of like you and me. And he was playing a gig one day in the South. And this guy comes up to him and buys him a drink and talks to him like he's a musician. But he's like, he's like in, in the middle of the conversation, they're halfway through. He's like, you know, I've never talked to a black man before. And he's like, what? (laughs) <laughs> Daryl's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, we're everywhere. He's like, yeah, well, you know, he pulls out his card and he's a part of the Ku Klux Klan. So mm. they sit down, and have a great conversation. He's like, and Daryl's really smart. He's very articulate. He's he's an incredible. He's an incredible mind. And over time, they started hanging out. They started getting dinner. They started talking on the phone. And eventually, after many months of just being friends with this guy, uh, this clan member comes to Daryl's house, much like he's done before. But this time he's holding his clan robes and all of his clan paraphernalia and gives it to him. And he leaves the clan because he was friends with a black man. He then this black man had literally challenged him on his ideas. He had been like, "Why are why do you think that black people are less intelligent or subhuman? Like, where is your evidence? Like, here's some case studies sequencing the genomes of, you know, certain people. He'll he'll back it up with science. And then this guy's like, huh? And logic. And then mm-hmm. over time, it's like what you were saying. If you if you want people to leave cults, you have to put chinks in their armor. This guy, Daryl Davis, has had dozens of people leave the Klan just by is, being. I was about to ask you: Is he? Is that the name of the guy? He's been popping up in the news where, he, for twenty, thirty years, he collects their hoods. He speaks to them. Yeah, well, they give them to he, him. Yep. That's that's him. Okay, mm-hmm. that's him. Because like I've heard about. It. I didn't know he was. I didn't know he was a musician. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's principally an R and B uh, and blues I no musician, idea. but he's an activist and an author. So, okay, because yeah, he's made the yeah, yeah he's man. made the news recently. Like he's been getting a lot, yeah. a lot of like praise and connection, particularly the the ability to reach out to people who hate him <laughs> for who he is, but, and he's collected what over over three hundred or something hoods. I don't know how many, but. Like, it's just hearing the story firsthand and how chill it was for him. He was like, look, like, I just wanted to have conversations with these people. And they're they're lovely people. They're just misguided. Like, they just have really bad data. <laughs> they just, they don't, like, when you look, when you live oh, in the middle yeah. of nowhere, man, you know how black people as friends, like, you look at what the media portrays us as. And if you look at the news, it's always the mugshot of the black guy who shot up always. at the gas station. Always. I mean, even up to so. 2015, it's the Bloomberg comment and all these, other, <laughs> you know, like the stereotypical look, like the news, it filters into it. But it is true, unless you speak to someone else who's different, you're you're not going to know. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you need to speak to more of people who are different. And uh, one of the tricky things uh, we've talked about, too, is 
and we mentioned this phrase almost specifically before, is everyone thought, you know, 40, 50 years ago that all the prob world's problems would have just been solved with information. That if you had given more people information, <laughs> the power of the internet, if we just, you see there's a lot of ignorance out there and hate of each other. If we just give each other more information, uh, everything will be okay. And I don't know if any of you guys have, uh, you know, seen anything over the past or <laughs> 20 years. Not really. It turns out it wasn't a lack of information. It was a lack of being able to process information. It was a lack of understanding what information is valuable. And so some people are becoming... Synthesizing conclusions. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think one of the... At least uh, an advantage I think we've had. Of course, there's a lot, you know, we can learn from because we live in... Our our world is very elite in the one we stay in. Classical music is in, is has a lot of elitist traits uh, baked mm -hmm. into the fabric. Yeah. Um, and while a lot of people are fighting against it, trying to change it from within, from without, um, yeah, boy. you name it, that's maybe not this, this, this conversation, but we also, li we live I in this so. weird world where we're both from, we're both from the South, different areas, hey. but south. we're both from the South. And yet then we went on to do, to then appear in, in your coastal elite cities, uh, at yeah. your, Ivy-esque institutions. So it is kind of an Ivy odd contrast. Wait, are we Ivy-esque? Mr. Wearing his Juilliard sweater right now? Yeah, yeah. I got to flex on all the non-people watching this. I got to remind Drew where I'm from in case he forgot. Let him know. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, this is my hood. Dude, what, dude, that's what I should do is I should collect uh, my Juilliard hood. hoodies. For, I should collect, I should go around and talk people out of it and collect their hoods, their, their Juilliard hoodies. And just said, this is my hood. This is my Be hood. like, guys, you gotta oh, like, man. you gotta do other so music. Funny. You can't, you gotta escape the classical music cult. You gotta, you gotta write. I agree. Music. I agree. Can I talk we should about collect that their, a little bit? Instead of, let me make my joke and then you'll be serious. Make but, a so joke. Yeah, the, yeah. I guess the Juilliard equivalent is instead of collecting their Juilliard hoodies, like the KKK, uh -huh. what we could do uh -huh. is we collect their their headshots on those stupid stairs at Juilliard. Hell yeah, dude. We, <laughs> they have and, to and give us their headshot them. back. Mm -hmm. They have to give us their headshot back. It'll be like, I promise I'll never take a headshot at the Lincoln Center again. And then they take it back. And they have to sign it. They have to sign it too. Because, you know, people <laughs> be trying it. They be trying to skirt. All right. Skirt. Let's hear your actual serious uh, contribution. No, 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 no. I love, you know me, dude. I don't like being serious. I don't like being serious. <laughs> One thing that I f I've found, you know, just in learning guitar, uh, it's like my classical music is getting so much better. My classical viola playing. Like I'm playing Bach and I'm actually starting to play my chords in tune. What a mm. concept. I think it's being able to understand harmony and being able to understand multiple uh, actions at once. I think we're used to being monophonic instruments. And so when you have when we start playing polyphonic roles, uh, it becomes overload because playing one note in tune is hard enough. Playing two notes in tune with yourself, three notes. Can you imagine trying to play four notes in tune with three other people? Right, and you're like, playing until, four until notes until you start doing those layering videos. Until you start doing all these live stream play alongs, then you realize like, uh oh. 
uh-oh, I can't play in tune to save my life. So it's really helpful. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I think that in studying pop music and studying other genres, uh, like jazz and hip-hop, I I look at classical music in such a different way, and I love it for different reasons now. And it's mm-hmm. made me be a better teacher. So I think that if you, if you like... If you only view music from one perspective, it's very limiting and you might be missing out on things that can take you to a next level and be unique. Because if everybody listens to the same people, and this is one thing I have told a student, it's like, how do I sound good like you? It's like, listen to people that other people don't listen to. So if everybody's mm, listening to like Joshua that. Bell, everybody's listening to Hilary Hahn, they're going to all emulate those players and they're going to end up sounding kind of like them. But if you're listening to Jimi Hendrix, if you're listening to John Legend, if you're listening to Maxwell, if you're listening to Paul Taylor, like if you're varied and you take tiny influences from everybody and you put them together, like that's how you get your own little gumbo of your own sound. And when you have your own gumbo of your own sound, when you make a recording, it's much more likely people are going to buy it because it's not going to sound like something they already own, even if it is the same piece. So that's just something I want to put out in the universe. Think about, I mean, I love that. Think about some of the most successful artists, even the old mm-hmm. ones now we try to emulate from the 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. or Jimi Hendrix. What were they doing? They were looking back and pulling in influences from other people. And I think through, we talk about this composition a lot. There's, you know, kind of two methods and historically. And that would be, you know, study the style of someone else. There, You would write in the style of your teacher. If you study with Hindemith, you would write like Hindemith. And oh, through God. the study of learning what he knew, you would. No, I chose him specifically because that's what he was like. Uh, he was, I like Hindemith. Um, Adler would always talk about <laughs> studying with Hindemith, and that's what he did, was you bring in your piece. Um, mostly you talk about everything else about music. You wouldn't spend a lot of time in composition on compositions mm-hmm. in composition lessons. Mm-hmm. Historically, that's mm-hmm. not what it's about. Very few people taught it like we do today, where it's very interactive, very hands-on, very much about the music. That is a new thing. Before, you walked mm-hmm. in, you talked about your theory, fundamentals, uh, You'd look at other pieces, and then you might spend a couple of minutes. And what Hindemith would do, apparently, is he would look at your piece, crumple it up, throw it away. He would write out your piece for you. And what did it sound like? It sounded like Hindemith. A lot of those yeah. students went on, became very successful and unique. <sighs> uh, but so if you look at, like, Bach, what he would do <laughs> is, is he would, you know, write out his— he would transcribe and write out and make parts for Uncle Ludwig. Uh and all these other <laughs> composers, when they were young, they would just be copyists for other composers. So they had to physically write out other people's music. But through that, by by getting a technique, they would their their own voice was always going to emerge. They looked at other Hell people yeah. and they pulled out what they like, but they really studied mm-hmm. and understood other people's styles. The Jimi Hendrix, looking at some of the earlier blues guitarists, Bob Dylan. This, with these lyrics, like all of these other great artists, uh, mm. you can find their influences. And they themselves built themselves from that and then contributed. Their own voice emerged out of the voices of others. Probably the best example, mm. one of the best examples of this is freaking mm. John Williams, J-Dubs. Mm. 
John Williams, no matter what, matter even when death, he's intentionally do doing pastiche or intentionally quoting someone, no matter what, everyone's, you know, for the people who dislike him, they're like, oh, he's kind of like ripping off of Wagner or something else. But mm. I disagree on that. You you can't hear John Williams without knowing that it's John Williams. That's the thing. Like that means he has a style. No matter what, mm. when they play it, when he's intentionally in hook, quoting the Firebird, when he's you know, doing, quoting Wagner and all <laughs> these other things, and Jaws, Devorja, mm -hmm. you always know it's him still. You can both simultaneously hear his influence and hear him. It's, it's, he's like a rapper. He's like, he's like, he's sampling. <laughs> he's sampling and then making a remix. You know what, uh, you know what, so, so now that we're in quarantine, I've been thinking about how do I be, be better communicator of music, a better speaker, better player, better all this stuff. I've been learning guitar and in doing that, I've been watching mm -hmm. a lot of guitar videos and guitarists speaking about music. Because another thing I'm finding is listening to other instrumentalists talk about music is so valuable because they all think, because the, they function differently. They have different overtone series. Like usually when it's written, when they play music that's written for them, they have a different role in the music. So they have always have a different perspective. And guitarists often like lay down the chords and the harmony. And I've just been learning so much mm -hmm. about like, I would, there's this guy, Carry Too Smooth on YouTube. And, and I've been watching a lot of like uh, pickup videos too, where people will just talk about how to do a such and such riff. And they'll go through a lot of and break down riffs of these famous guitarists from the past. And they'll play back what they were doing. It's like, you know, I love how they did that. And so I learned how they did that. But then I started doing it my way and I did it this way. And it sounds, that's how you develop your sound. You literally have to copy people. You literally have to copy them, break it down. Like what you're saying the copyist did. Break it down to the atomic mm -hmm. level. See how it works. It's like getting your favorite toy, breaking it apart, and then putting it back together. And then seeing, oh, but instead of having the head on top, what if I put it where the dick's supposed to be? And then I call <laughs> it my... Are we talking about uh, Jeremy's toy. cult again? We're talking about... I was thinking about Legos. But yeah... <laughs> 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 but yeah, I was I was thinking about Legos. Like my brother used to destroy Mr. My Potato Legos Dick? and then rebuild it better. Mr. Potato Head, exactly. <laughs> you got to look at it, my Mr. Potato Head, because then I what I think is I'm starting to realize is like all these guitarists that improvise and, and saxophones that improvise, they have a library in their brain of just licks mm. and people that they adore and they're always running through that library of licks and then they're just adding something because oh instead of that major lick we're in minor okay i'm gonna just make it minor i'll put this thing and i'm gonna paste it with this i think that's what's going on so in this time in the quarantine pick an artist you, listeners fake and fan pick an artist that isn't a classical musician I've been, that you like i've been and doing this a with songs. uh doing this kind of with, with other art forms in film and we've we don't have to dive in deep but another person great of course one of the older greats who's like famous for this oh. the pastiche would of course be Tarantino in yeah, that his whole thing is he 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 wears it on his shoulders and mm -hmm. that almost every scene is is some type of uh, 
paying homage to homage. Yeah. a previous film. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he's going through and it's and it's done in a tasteful way. It's intentional by design. You know, that the dance in Pulp Fiction is a combination of a couple dances across all these obscure old films you'd never have seen. But he de- he doesn't hide it. He doesn't lie. And he's it's not ripping it off. He's pointing out the fact that he's referencing these older films. Mm. And then he's he finds them in a way that's unique and is his style. Again, you would watch mm. his films and not think it was one of the old ones. You know it's him. When you watch a Tarantino movie, it's very obvious. Hey, that's his style. But where did he get it? Directly off the shoulders of these other giants. He took over and now... People are, you know, after Tarantino did what he did, he did. They're looking at him. They're they're going back, and they're seeing what did Tarantino look at. They're watching these old films. Probably no one would see if he hadn't mentioned them or had learned from them. And uh, I listened to a recent podcast about kind of the art of reading and and to not just go down the list of you know, great 100 novels. He's like, that's not a way to read. He's like, you know, find a book you like and like let your 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 whim guide you you know if you liked this book or you you like this person find out what they were reading and then kind of go down that rabbit hole don't just go down the list of your ulysses and uh pride and prejudice and all these just other well-known pinnacle books you know what was charles dickens reading Uh, read that book reread it like go on uh he was yeah dickens what was charles reading dickens yeah (laughs) but but with so a good example, too, is like a uh, recent Oscar winner, Parasite, uh, incredible director. We've talked about him, Bo jung Hoon, is that he, when he got up and gave that Oscar speech, when he was mentioning all the other people nominated and he was thanking them and it wasn't uh, some sappy like, oh, you know, I'm happy I won and like I'm just honored to be among the category of greats. He specifically mentioned each of them. Uh, like how they were his idols and it wasn't it not only was it not just like a it's the nice thing and the right thing to do and you you know be humble and stuff no mm-hmm. when he referenced these other people it was genuine not in a genuine hum, humble sense but it was genuine in that they were his influences because I've now watched more of his films mm-hmm. and you can specifically see what he learned from Scorsese what he learned from Tarantino in particular, the ending of Parasite, uh, what he learned from all these other directors and that he, in a new, you know, just a Tarantino equivalent, he also wears his influences on his his sleeve. He wears his experiences on his shoulders in that you can see going back in his older films, which are many are great, uh, you can also see what he learned along the way. So, I mean, everyone, because it's on Netflix and there's going to be a show about it, go check out Snowpiercer. Yeah. It's great. You can see what was different, but you can you can really see what he learned from that film and brought yeah. over into Parasite, which is a very different film. And so what's nice about him, since it's not like he has a ton of movies, you can see the progress and you can you can directly see his influences and how from his influences he learned, he developed, he thought, yeah. what's me? What can I make better? What do I want to say? But he came in with the technique, and that's why he stands out. And that's can why he's got an Oscar and got to drink beer all night. Hell yeah. Can I tell you some of my influences? Yes. Can I? And when it comes to YouTube, because I, the, when you're talking about it, I like realized it in my own life. 
And it's it's like it's like my life's a movie. <laughs> so back in the early days of YouTube, <laughs> I used to watch a lot of like Asian um, vloggers out here in LA. Uh, and I was like, what? Just like end of high school, early college. Uh, Timothy De La Ghetto and David So were among the first like actual YouTubers that I watched on a regular basis, and mm-hmm. I learned how to like vlog from them. I just my early vlogs are in the style of a Timothy De La Ghetto, and my early like sit down videos are in the style of like a David So video. Like literally, like they are direct influences. And then I got into like you know trying to make my vlogs look look a little bit better. I got into Casey Neistat and I watched every one of his vlogs. And so there's a clear moment where you can see like I had switched from just like do, watching David So and Timothy De La Ghetto too, like when I started watching Casey because I started doing time lapses. I started shooting more B-roll. I started, and then I met, I found Peter McKinnon and then I really started shooting a lot of slow-mo B-roll because I got that from him. And then I came across through Peter, Jesse Driftwood, who did a lot of in-camera transitions and it's just so funny. Every new person that I discovered, I took something from them and then I added it to my videos. I love it. So that's it's that's the, how you do it's it. It's the Stravinsky. Yeah. It's the Stravinsky where yeah, he said, man. yeah, he's like, you know, what is it? Great, I'll just steal. And, and so he he yeah. was very adamant about that. And many others. It's like you're going to learn. Mm. You're At almost every experience, you're going to learn something. And I've mentioned this specific moment because it stuck in my mind. Uh, but for those who haven't heard in an earlier pod, undergrad composition, new music festival, the weirdest stuff in the world. Uh, uh, we tried to bring it in. It's like really forward thinking, very experimental uh, film uh, music festival. And we just bring in people who are obscure, not even famous. Who knows what these people are doing, but they're doing those weird stuff. And so the same thing would happen every year. We, we'd, we'd be required as composers to go to all these concerts and mm-hmm. some of the pieces were painful and some were terrible and some were great and fascinating. And there'd always be a wrap-up at the end that Friday. And so everyone is complaining about all the stuff they were forced to go to and is this music and blah, 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 blah. And I wouldn't really, I wasn't too much of the complainer on this because I was like, hey, you know, some of it's cool. But the teachers go up there and after listening to all this feedback and they're like, hey, now listen. Okay. My teacher was like, he's like, only I, I might have only liked 10% of that. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, that's not the point of this. He's like, the point, he's like, it might, he's like, he's like, in all honestly, like, he's like, he's like two things. You he's suck. Like, the 10% that I liked. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he's Can like, you imagine? Ten- <laughs> Noobs. Yeah. First off, y'all a bunch of bitches. No, but. Uh, he's like, first off, he's like, even if, if I sat through all that and if I learned one new thing I never would have thought of before, it was worth it. Mm. He's like, second off, he's like, you, you, you're probably going to learn just as much about, from things you don't like than from things you do like. Mm, yeah, I think you and said this ones before. Ours, that particular, yeah, yeah, I have, yeah, I wanted to reiterate because it's very critical. Yeah. I can yeah. that one, that particular thing really stuck with me, and I've like really built it in the philosophy. I still would go to uh, less so much, less so in LA, just because it's harder to. But in New York, mm-hmm. I still went to a ton of concerts. That was my thing. I'd go to a ton of recitals, 
And it was, it's not really about I going to just enjoy everything. I might like one piece, but I make sure to learn from the things I don't like. Mm-hmm. And that's valuable. What that mm-hmm. allows you with that type of mindset, what it allows you to do is to go into every experience. You will always gain something. A learning experience. Pull what you like. Learn from what you don't like. A learning experience. No such thing as but a ever, good you can. You will never have wasted time. Yeah. Yeah. You'll you'll never have a wasted experience if you can mm-hmm. learn from both the the mm-hmm. positives and the negatives. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right, bro. God, that was this was such a helpful like to, towards the end. I think that was super valuable, man. Like I think we, I think we really delivered. We just to, like, went from cults <laughs> to, where we? to to like how to build your own brand. Like because I think this this is something that I'm I'm actually in talks of like uh, creating a uh, like an online coaching course uh, where. You know, it doesn't matter where you live. Mm-hmm. I could be your coach and help you get started with your social media and like help you build your brand. Um, because I've been reading a lot of marketing books. You really it should. Has, it's ex- expertise. So I'm working with a business coach right now. That's another one of the projects that I'm doing. So I'll be announcing that soon. Uh, and yeah, bro, I think you need to make a course too. I think making courses and and actually using some of this experience and this knowledge that we've gotten from our master's degrees right uh (laughs) what a concept so like (laughs) i I think this is i think this is this is the time and i'm really excited uh to at least have a platform to share to learn from you man i learn a lot from you i learn a ton of things from you. i learned so much brilliant you're brilliant I appreciate you. I have to give you a specific shout out. And I love I love this idea of, of the course and you should absolutely start doing this. I will. And for those out there, even if like like everyone, like you should when you're going out teaching something, you know, make sure you have you've you've done a it degree. before. <laughs> That'll always help. It helps with legitimacy. <laughs> and like and like Drew has done it. Drew has done it before he's he's built this up and you look at our friends like john like he he's worked Mm -hmm. in the business long enough he's picked Mm -hmm. up these things he's read enough that uh while he's not gone out and written his own book he can synthesize other people's ideas and contribute his own voice Mm -hmm. and ideas to it and so that's the same thing as you you've you've done the research you're you're tarantinoing uh you've Mm -hmm. done the research and you've built yourself out of something else. But why I wanted to give you a specific shout out too is because mm. of you, I started that uh, get into Juilliard hustle. Yeah, bro. How's and, that going? And I, I will, I will and, and part of that is not talking and disclosing any information. Uh, I don't want to like ever tell the people's names because it's a private yeah, thing yeah, and it's very yeah, specific. It's like, yeah. I'm going to get you into your grad school instead of like a composition lesson. Uh, mm. But mm. it happened. What so I'm batting. Of the of the advised people, I'm bad. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the first official official uh-huh. one, uh-huh. but it's four for four for getting into Juilliard. So four coming for in four. I'm keeping that a hundred percent. It's four for four, baby. Seriously? I got a bro, I got a congratulations. farm, bro. I'm gonna start wearing like track suits. <laughs> your your coach, bro. Are you getting <laughs> testimonials from each and every one of them? So I'm yeah I'm going to because the other ones were just over the years advisements and grace but this is the first still. one uh, that was very still specific. go back months still go back of dude. working yeah. and prep uh-huh. and so months and like so this was this this is really like the That's official so one where it's like where I I set it up as a business as a coaching service called yes. it coaches 
Hell called yeah. it, you know, it's an audition coach. But yeah. this doesn't happen if it wasn't for 2015 oh Drew Ford YouTube God, video. Dude. I can't believe that that is still it a happened. thing, Some, bro. Yeah. People people are going in. So, yeah. So, like, it's finally uh, official because they just mm. announced all that stuff in the past wow. couple of days. Uh, but wow. shout out to my student. Or my, you, uh, I don't even call him student, but shout out to your me your mentee, advisee, your mentee, coaching your, client, your mentor, man. my mentee. There we go. Yeah. It, it happened. And your if you mentor. guys, if you're trying to get in the Juilliard, I mean, lesson one is me trying to convince you not. Yeah. And if you survive through that, uh, <laughs> you're gonna do. You're gonna do well, bro. I'll do just well. send but all of the people. I, that in my that DMs is directly to due to you. I'll send all the people in my DMs to you, bro. Yeah, it was. I got yeah, you. it was fun. I got you. It was fun, but it, yeah, mm -hmm. it was just very specific, but I was, but the idea of like, hey, this could be, you know, if I take this seriously, like a business, you know, yeah. it's a paid service, but yeah. it's very detailed looking in and just evaluating literally every step mm -hmm. of that process because you make music. a better very product. little of it was actually on music. You make a better product and your yeah. results speak and, for themselves. Yeah. And that's why. So I, yeah. when treating it like, hey, this is something you teach, not just me, you know, doing a phone call or yeah. having, you know, messages over Facebook or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like doing Breaking actual coaching sessions on this. Mm -hmm. It was a really fun experiment and it feels good when it worked out, <laughs> particularly for this person. So I'm very proud of, I'm very proud. And uh, they, will, proud they will always you. my, unless they ask, unless they say otherwise, I will always keep them nameless. It's yeah, a private course. matter. Of but course. I can, I can, I can feel a moment. It felt... I was nervous myself. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like, there, you know, <laughs> because there is a result on this. It's not, you know, it's like your kid going to a competition. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're sitting there. You're, I'm like, oh man, it's getting close to April. I haven't heard. I haven't heard the results yet. You uh -huh. know, it's my, that's my, that's my baby up there. <laughs> but, uh, so shout outs to you specifically for even giving me you and uh, a friend, Chong, for just giving me even the idea that like, hey, this is. I've I'd had some success before. Yeah. Let's turn this into an actual thing. Yeah. And so now that the trial balloon is gonna go get a degree in music uh, from Juilliard, uh, I'm gonna it's gonna continue. We'll, There's proof. We'll talk. We'll we'll talk more on this privately. But I appreciate you. Thank you for mm -hmm. giving me shine, bro. But I also, I also just want, ladies and gentlemen, fake it, fam. I just want to let y'all know, Trevor Bumgarner was in my first. YouTube videos, my very like the first, like with the first five videos, I think you were in twice, and then you decided to once again after I made <laughs> which the is wild because we barely knew each barely other, barely knew each other, but you agreed to every time That's I asked you to be in a part. video, you were like, Yeah, you were always down. I fuck with you, bro. Like, you, you didn't even, you didn't, I wasn't TVK. <laughs> I was like that viola kid trying to. I was. I don't even think I was on. I don't. I don't think I was on Instagram yet. This, bro. Actually, I don't think I joined Instagram till I graduated. Wow. Well, see, there you go. There you go. There you go. But you didn't see it. You didn't <laughs> see the value in it. You really didn't. And but you, you were such a homie, and you just d donated your time. And uh, I'm so happy to see that. You know, this the cyclical. Like you were helping me out, it ended up helping you out. Like that just makes me so happy to hear. Yeah, because that's what that's and how that is, is a lesson. We we are yeah. talking about these like lessons. You it's yeah. like you ne you literally never know yeah. if you had, if you had talked to us back then in graduation. Yeah. Um, you're like, hey, 
in about five years, that person you did that YouTube video off, uh, you're gonna be you're gonna be in a closet in Denver, <laughs> and he's gonna be in quarantine in LA, and you're gonna be almost a year into your podcast. <laughs> I would have said you're insane. Uh, I'm gonna have a six pack and be living in my New York penthouse. Thanks. Yep, yep. And but but also, can you send me that fan fiction? Like, I think we can make some money. <laughs> <laughs> That's like that's a dope hug, like a global my, pandemic. For my OnlyFans podcasting only through the pandemic, man. Like <laughs> straight up, dude. But I got that po- that pan pod, that, that pan pod bod. Pan pod bod. Oh man, me too. I'm softer. I'm definitely softer. I'm eating a lot more sugar, <laughs> a lot more pizza. Mm. It's it's. How are you feeling? That's though? what also blows my mind about this pandemic. Yeah. The, like, the pandemic sadness is that not only has my uh, exercise decreased, my intake of garbage has increased. Yeah, it's it's okay, but, though. Like, I, I think— But I've been walking a ton. That's walking. the one good thing about the dog in Denver is we've been walking. Okay. We've been walking a lot. We walked about, I mean, three miles this morning. Wow. Well, it's um, also super hot. do more dude. of it because there's open space. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super, you know, you're super high. So, like, all the exercise is extra strenuous. Just walking. Just walking at altitude I can be think tough, dude. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I just thought I was, because I was in Colorado, like, everyone's, everyone's super high. That too. Yeah, everybody's super high. Everybody's pretty, there's some, there's some attractive people in Denver. Some attractive people. I stopped on the way Word? when I was driving. I bought some weed. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, some mountains, but, dude. Oh my god, but, it's man, beautiful. it's been. Yeah, I just want before it's we go. Been beautiful being before, here, being in nature. Before we go, are you okay emotionally? That's what I want to do. Dude, know. I'm I'm doing fine. Okay, it's. You know it is. It's in that weird, bumpy state that everyone else is going through. Yeah. I'm lucky that, like, business is still going. I just yeah. finished a documentary. So, like, business has actually been chugging along. Your own Tiger King documentary? <laughs> that's that's it, baby. Yeah, Trevor King. Trevor King. <laughs> that's dope, man. It's about, it's about my harem of bassoon players. <laughs> Dude, honestly, no cap. I would watch that shit. I will watch that shit. That sounds so <laughs> off the wall. He makes my reads. <laughs> Cindy, where are my reads? Only a matter of time before we see Bassoon King. <laughs> Bassoon King. <laughs> no, maybe, no. Wait, what if we did, what if we just did a funny uh, documentary style, funny video series where it was just about you and your life as a, a badass bassoon player? Like, we just pretended like you were a rock star who played It'll bassoon. Be, <sighs> That'd be so funny. I, I freaking wish, because now I'm doing it. I'm learning uh, Premiere. I wish me. I wish during this pandemic, we were still somehow, like, Together. beside each other. Because <laughs> we could just make so much parody. <laughs> so many memes. So much parody. <laughs> Tiger King content. <laughs> so many. We got to do it before Two Set does it. You know what I'm saying? You know Two Set's going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna, they gonna make some somehow you know violas are gonna get eaten king. by tigers, you know. It's, just like, oh. it's uh, gonna be Viola King. It's only a matter of time. Viola King, dude, that but, would um, actually be 
bucket. Uh, yeah, it should just be Viola Gang. Like it's the Tiger King spinoff. Viola, Viola Gang. Viola. It's just you have a oh, bro. an illegal Viola breeding. What if we just made a song Viola King and it just was like the most absolute stupidest <laughs> thing? But it's a guy who plays viola and just stupid yet so dumb it's fire. But but it's so but dumb it's fire. Like, bars bars. Dude, I want to make I I'm really inspired by this conversation. I want to make that track. That sounds so fun. I want to write that down. Anyway. All right. Everybody, I want to make sure y'all come through and keep this together. Yes. Yes. And I want to I want us to just keep this real. So, yes. this has been another episode. Uh, so of course, stay safe. Stay safe. Go out. Social be disciplined. Mm-hmm. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Also, we we do want to get some. We got uh, shout out to Boutique Paul for sending in some real mail. We want to do some more real mail as well. And so for this episode, if you're listening and you want to send us a little sound bite, the question that I have for you is: What is the craziest thing you've said to your roommate during this crisis? Uh, since you're <laughs> stuck with him, I think I called Mindy mom. Uh, a couple days ago. So that was weird. Oh, that's great. That was pretty crazy. But it's been a very helpful experience. I want to hear your stories. So uh, just send us a voice memo to fakingnotespodcast at gmail.com and uh, we'll pick some of our favorites and we'll we'll put put them in. Real man. If you send that recording, we'll put it, we'll do it live. Do it live. Do it live. But it's recorded, so it's not technical live. But still, you get it. <laughs> but none of this is live. <laughs> it's a podcast. Yeah, have you heard of it? All right, uh, everybody. This has been good. It's been great. Uh, five stars, five stars only. And uh, stay safe out there. Five stars. Love y'all, fam. Peace. Peace.